Amen. All right. We're going to hop right into it today um, with a message that I've entitled Good News Where It's Needed the Most. Good News Where It's Needed the Most, okay? And I want to begin by talking about um, what I believe is vision and mission. And this is something that everybody understands, no matter whether you go to church or not. Because every single company, or most companies, have a mission statement, right? They have a mission, they have a vision. I mean, you can't go where you don't know where you want to go, right? You can't become if you don't have a vision or a picture of what you want to be. So everyone does. So, um, you know, just because it's summer, you know, and um, Jonathan and Karina are here, you know, and everything, so I had to call you guys up. Um, I just want to do something fun if I can for a minute, all right? So can we do a little uh, little contest here to start off with some prizes? Everybody good with that? All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up the mission statement of a company, and you're going to guess what company it is, okay? So here's the first one. This is the mission statement. Can anybody guess what company this is? Strives to be the global leader in sporting goods industry with brands built on a passion for sports and a sporting lifestyle. I'll take the first hand. I see Mary. What is it? It is not Dick's Sporting Goods. I am sorry. Is there anybody else that wants to guess? Andrea, right there? Nope, nope. Sorry. Can't give it to that. Oh, Trevor, I'll take you here in the is it? And let's, let's see. Let's go to the... It is Adidas. All right. Brother, I have a Kit Kat for you. Want some Kit Kats? There you go, man. All right, take some Kit Kats. All right. Now, now everybody wants to play. See, you all hold back a little bit, but now you guys want to play, right? Now you're like, okay, let's go. All right, so second one. Here we go. Our vision is to be the Earth's most customer-centric company to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Everybody got to guess, got to guess, got to guess. Right there in the red shirt. Let's see what it is. It is Amazon. All right, here we go. Oh, I'm just going to toss it out to you. I hope you guys can catch it Oh. If it breaks, you get to share it with everybody else. All right, I got one more company. All right, you guys ready? One more company. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. Well, I see Alyssa. She stood up. She raised her hand high. Who is it? I need an answer. And it is Starbucks. All right. Listen, you get the symphony. This has creamy milk chocolate. I've been told this is an amazing one. I normally don't get this, but a friend of mine said, you got to try the creamy milk chocolate. All right? All right, good. All right. And then hopefully, you know, that'll keep you guys awake. If you see somebody nodding off, just pass a piece down your road. You know, help everybody stay awake, all right? Now, not only do companies have mission statements, but individuals do as well. And Steve Jobs, of course, was associated with his business, Apple, among others. But his personal mission was to make a contribution to the world by making tools for the mind that advance humankind. You know, that goes a little bit beyond just being the best sporting goods industry. I mean, each mission statement or vision statement tries to take it another level, um, but he really had a higher vision, a higher purpose in mind. And the same is true even in the church. We at Hartford City Church, we have a vision statement, we have a mission statement, we have values that we live by. Our vision is to be a community of people that are experiencing God's beautiful restoration. And then our mission is to glorify Jesus Christ and bless the city of Hartford, which are all those things Pastor Angel just told you about. And they're not just announcements, man. If we don't get involved and get in the community, then we're not fulfilling the mission that we believe God gave to us because God is about restoration. God is about bringing things back to the way he wants to see them. And then our values are to love all, to serve all, and to welcome all. So even Jesus had a mission statement that Miles just read for us. And Jesus' mission statement is found in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, it's the first time that he gives a public teaching in that gospel. Now, he's obviously been doing some things because he has a reputation. People are excited to see him. He's back in his hometown. He's like, you know, the returning, you know, hometown guy, and they're excited to see him. But this is kind of the, when he begins or commences with his ministry. And so he lays out his mission statement, which is rooted 
Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, which is the seed verse for Hartford City Church. And that vision is that God would be restoring the world, taking everything that was broken and wrong and healing it and making it right. That there would be values of the kingdom. And we believe the values that we put out, love all, serve all, welcome all, are values of the kingdom, values that Jesus taught and modeled so that we might live into that as well. And then Jesus quoted, here it is again, Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray together as we begin to dive into God's word. Lord Jesus, we just ask that our hearts would be ready to receive this message. Our minds would be open to understand this message. That we would indeed leave this place changed and transformed so that your glory shine through us, Lord. So that nothing in us would be in the way of your light and your love shining to every person that we meet in Hartford, in the cities where we live, and even beyond to the very ends of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. First of all, Jesus says this is good news. What is good news? Good news simply means the gospel. It's the word gospel. It means the good news. And he says, first of all, it's good news to a very specific group of people, that it's good news to the poor. And what is the gospel? What is the message of God's good news? Well, it's nothing less than God's love for the whole world, is it not? Isn't John 3.16 kind of a summary of the kingdom of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, doesn't have to die, doesn't have to have a meaningless existence, but can have eternal, real, abundant, lasting life by believing in Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom of God. It's his values, it's his rule, it's his reign, it's the way God wants things to be. God is constantly reminding his people, you may live here, but you don't belong to this, you belong to me and to the new world that I'm creating and the new kingdom that I am building. And first of all, it comes to the poor. And who are the poor? Well, they're literally the people that have the, the smallest amount of resources. They're the people that have no money, no food, no clothes. They're a bunch who are struggling, or, or it's day-to-day -day survival. They're very vulnerable. They're often at the mercy of other people. They're often easy targets for oppression and for manipulation and for using. And Jesus says, I've come to bring good news for you, because your constant consuming struggle is provision. You need provision, and I will provide for you. And Jesus comes to those who are poor, and he feeds them, and he heals them, and he brings them good news. And then it's also freedom for the prisoner. Freedom for the prisoner. You know, as I thought about this, it strikes me there are two kinds of people that find themselves in prison, the innocent and the guilty. And I'm not honest. There are innocent people that end up in prison all around the world and even in our country, right? And innocent people need to be set free. And not just physical prisons, but we all have prisons. Sometimes they're mental prisons, right? Sometimes they're the chains that bind us, right? And that becomes like a prison unto us, and we need to be set free from that. All people need to be set free from what binds them, from what holds them down. But there are the guilty as well, and the guilty need forgiveness. And the guilty need restoration. And that's part of God's plan and God's vision. Jesus said, I've come to bring sight to the blind. There is a ton of blindness in this world, friends. I'm not just talking physical blindness. I think it's the number one issue facing us today is that we cannot see each other. And I've been preaching about this. We cannot see each other as God wants us to see each other. Right? And we're in a classic example of communities trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye while the while there's a log 
in our eye, right? And Jesus says, listen, your eyes need to be healed. You need to be able to see people. Remember when I talked about this? To see generously. Not with stingy eyes, not with narrow eyes, but with open, generous eyes to see. I mean, we need recovery of sight for the blind. And then he said, freedom for the oppressed. Very similar to freedom for the prisoner. But oppression is when you're pressed down. When there are forces against you down. Right? And we don't, first of all, we don't see the burden that is upon some people, right? There is a burden upon communities, especially communities of color, that's like a boulder on their back. And how foolish would it be to say to someone that's got a boulder on her back, well, you can run just as fast as somebody who doesn't. Because they can't. It's oppression. Oppression is weighing it down, and that needs to be broken. And Jesus said, I came to lift that oppression off of you. To lift it off, whatever oppression it is. Maybe it's just the darkness of the mind. He'll lift that oppression. Maybe it's the voices that we listen to that tell us we're no good, or whatever it is, the negative. He's come to lift that oppression. It's the devil. It's the enemy. It's Satan. He's come to lift that oppression off of us, right? So that we can be free. And woe to those who are oppressing. Jesus also says that, you know, because they also need to just be knocked off sometimes. Year of Jubilee. He says, I come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's a very specific reference to the year of Jubilee, all right? The year of Jubilee was this idea that every seven years, the people of God, the country of Israel, they would forgive all of their debts and get an older. How many of you would like to have all of your debts erased in seven years from now, right? Amen. You're like, yes, it was a chance to start over. And then in the year of Jubilee, the 50th year, all the land was to return to the original owner. See, God had this system in place where you didn't own anything for too long and you didn't keep anybody in debt or were in debt too long because there was a chance to reset. There was a chance to start again. There was a chance to really make everything just kind of fresh and new. And the year of Jubilee was a beautiful idea. It was called the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus came and said, I mean, this was thousands of years they were supposed to do this. And scholars say they're not sure if they ever really fully got to the 50th year. Right? But Jesus came and said, it's here, it's the year of the Lord's favor. There is economic implications to the gospel of Jesus and to the economy of the kingdom. And Jesus, sometimes we spiritualize it too quick. And it doesn't mean it's not spiritual. It is. But it's everything. It's everything. And it doesn't happen all at once. But everything is moving towards it. Everything is taking a step towards it. Right? Do you believe that? I'm trying to get back to the vision, the mission statement, right? In God's world, are there prisons? No, there aren't prisons. So shouldn't we be working in that? Are there people who go hungry in God's kingdom? No, we're working towards that. We're participating in that. There's no one that's oppressed. There's no one that's that's under an economic burden of debt. There's no one even that really truly owns what they have. I love what Jesus said. He said, I, I want you to do this because I want you to remember that you belong to me and that you'll always be strangers in a strange land. But when you give back land... You know, it just reminds you that you don't really own it in the first place, right? You know, you don't really own it in the first place. And here we are still in this world, you know, arguing over whose land it is and who owns the land and who has the rights to land. And God's just saying, my children, I made it. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Jesus said, this is my mission. I've come to bring good news to these kinds of people. They're the kinds of people we talked about last week. We looked at Matthew 25, those who are hungry, thirsty, those who are sick and in prison. And Jesus said, when you do something for them, when you visit them, you're doing it to me. 
can identify with them. But these kinds of people, they're often called the least of these by people in the world. But of course, the least in the world is the greatest in God's kingdom. So it sounds a little funny to call them the least. But these people that find themselves in the struggle, in desperate circumstances, Jesus came to them first. He said, this is my mission statement. And then where did he go? He went to those people. He hung out with those people. He ate with those people. He walked with those people. He cried with those people. He lived with those people. And he did exactly what he said that he was coming to do. And it makes me wonder, I've always wondered, why, why are people that are in these type of situations so responsive, so responsive to the gospel? Well, it's because they know the great need that they have. They often have less to lose. They are often know that they're at the mercy of forces beyond their control, right? They're people who in every way have come to realize that I'm powerless over the situation in my life. And I need something. I need something greater than me. I want my life. They understand that. And also I think they responded so well because Jesus treated everyone, and especially them, with dignity, honor. See, Jesus is all about justice. And I want to take a short little side trip here for a minute and talk about God's idea of justice. God's idea of justice is different than our idea of justice. Our idea of justice is based in a Greco-Roman philosophy of justice, and it's embodied or pictured by Lady Justice that we see everywhere. She's blind, she has the scales in her hand, and this Greco-Roman idea of justice is this, that it's blind, it's impartial, it doesn't take into account who the people are, Everything is applied equally. It's about equality. Everything must be equal and everything must be fair. And that's what that law is based upon. Now, I want you to know, friends, that God's idea of justice, as revealed in the Bible, has significant differences from this view of justice. First of all, this view of justice says that there are moral principles that exist in the universe, and we need to adhere to those moral principles. But God's justice is based in his character, in who he is. It simply flows out. And we know that God's first characteristic is love, right? So justice is God's love in action, actually making things right. It flows out of who God is. It's his character, right? So justice, God's justice comes from who he is, not from a set of principles that exist outside of himself, right? So when God had judged the world back in the time of Noah, remember everything was so bad and wicked and there was all this demonic activity and God said, I'm going to start over. I'm going to start creation over. So he took Noah and his family and all the animals and put them on the ark. You all remember the ark, right? And he saved them, you know, but the rest of the world was destroyed and he was going to start over. God put a rainbow on the sky and said, listen, I'm not going to do this again. That's significant. That's a significant moment. God said, because my character is love and I'm starting over, I'm not going to destroy the earth this way again. It's not going to happen again. I'm going to put a sign in the sky that you'll remember that my character is always based on love. We need to understand that. So God's justice is based on his character. Second, it is based on relationships and not principles. God is not blind in his justice. You hear me, friends? God is not blind. He sees. God sees who's involved. He sees you. He sees into our hearts. Relationships are very important to God because in God's justice, here's the problem. Our relationship is broken with him. And therefore, our relationship is broken with each other. And God cares about the people involved. God is not blind. God sees everything. And his justice is totally based on...
on relationships, on restoring broken relationships. The very first murder that happened in the Bible was when Cain killed his brother Abel. And God came to him, and what did he say? You violated the law, you violated statute number 1.1. No, he said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God is passionate. He's not dispassionate. He's not this one might mess with you a little bit. It's also not equal. Kind of throws up the God. God's justice definitely shows a preference for the poor. If you read throughout the Bible, God says it's not about being equal. It's not about equality, but it's about those who are in the most need. We're going to help them, and we're going to make sure that they're taken care of, and we're not going to let them fall off. And if you look throughout God's justice, you'll definitely see. God, throughout the Bible, mentioning specific groups of people that he wants it directed to. So that's God's idea of justice. Tristan, I'm a little frozen up on this. Can you, can you advance it? Or? i got to get to this next slide. There you go. So I'm going to leave this slide here for a minute. These are verses that talk about God's justice, what I've just explained. So I'm going to give you a minute to write those down or snap a picture of this, because some of you may want to go into the Bible and study more of what I'm talking about, God's idea of justice. And it's based on his character. It's, um, it's based on relationships, restoring broken relationships, and it has a preference for the poor, that it leans towards those who need it the most. And the funny thing is, in God's justice, when you lean towards those who need it the most, nobody gets left out. It's not like somebody ends up losing, right? I mean, everybody gets taken care of. But definitely God is saying you can't just go with this idea of this impartial, blind idea of equality. There's another thing we have in America, right, and that we believe about justice. We believe in karma, you know, even Christians. You know, if you do good, good will come back to you. If you do bad, bad will come back to you, right? We're so concerned that people get what they deserve, right? They get what they deserve. If someone's in trouble, well, they deserved it, you know. And Well, what if they didn't deserve it? Well, then that's wrong because they don't deserve it, you know. So really our idea of American justice is Greco-Roman philosophy mixed with a little bit of karma. Hallelujah, we're a Christian nation. <laughs> I'm trying to get us back to some principles that should undergird everything that we do, okay? For, for instance, again, if you think about even the way that we look at our prison system, our justice system, is it restorative or is it punitive? Is it really about restoring people or is it just about punishing people? Right? But we see a God of restoration. From Isaiah 61, God's mission statement, to Luke chapter 4, a Jesus' mission statement, we see a mission, a vision of restoration healing broken relationships, of healing broken people, amen, of bringing people back to the image of God that they were created in, amen, amen, hallelujah, you guys with me, we're awake, summer, you know, everybody get a little sleepy, all right, if you need those verses afterwards, go ahead and uh, let me know, and I'll get those to you, all right, go ahead, hit the next one, my iPad froze up this morning, go ahead, hit the next one, hallelujah, so what we need to do then is, is we need to apply these principles into our lives, right? Because the truth says if we're going to be on mission with Jesus, what we need to do is that we need to understand um, our own needs first. We need to recognize the needs of our own. This is where I'm talking about having our eyes open. Because in reality, there's a lot of poverty that's not just monetary poverty. There's a lot of poverty in this world. You know, we talk a lot about poverty in this world. There are people who have a lot. You know who I'm talking about. And yet they're, they're, they're poor. There's a poverty of spirit. There's a poverty of heart. And, and, and we all need to realize that we need Jesus, right? 
Because we don't need, if you don't need God, then you're not going to come to God, right? If everything's good in your life, how are you going to receive the good news? Understand what I'm saying? If you think everything's in it, and people who think everything's good, people who think everything's fine, people who are proud of being able to take care of themselves, they often don't get involved with church or don't need God or don't need to cultivate a relationship with Him because you, we don't need Jesus till we need Him. And it's not good news if everything is already pretty good to us. But if things aren't going so well, if we recognize the need that we have, then we're open to receive Jesus and understand that He is what we need, that He is everything that we need, that He is the very life and breath that we need. And sometimes we're blinded to it. We're blinded into thinking everything is okay, right? When it's not, when if our eyes could just see, hey, it's not okay. There are things that are wrong that God can be involved in. We need to recognize the need that we have in our lives for the gospel, for the good news, for Jesus. I need to realize that there are some things that bind me, and I need freedom from them. I need to understand that the way I deal with people and treat with people is not just about me, but it's about the year of the Lord's favor. It's about doing what's good for everybody else. I need to open up my eyes, right, and understand that I'm a part of this. And so today I'm asking God to help us see our need, amen, our need for Jesus, right? Because we all need him. Every single one of us sitting here. There's something that we need forgiveness for. There's something we need healing for. There's something we need freedom for. Each and every one of us. And then once we do that, go to the next one. Is that we need to recognize the need in front of us. Again, it's that same, that beautiful parable of Jesus. Take the log out of our own eye. And then we can see the speck in someone else's eye. You know, once we see our need, oh my gosh, my need is greater than I thought, right? And God can help meet my need. God can bring good news to me. Then we can see someone else. We're like, oh, now, now that I'm healed, now, now that I'm healed, I, I begin to see you. Oh, I see you. I really see you. I believe Jesus is asking us to stop and to look again and to see people the way God sees them now, to who they really are, to recognize the need in other people, right? Because, again, if someone is suffering, Someone's suffering, say they're crippled, they've got the boulder on their back, they're under oppression. Why on earth, for the love of Christ, would you go and yell at that person and criticize them and say, you're not trying hard enough? Wouldn't you rather sit down and have compassion? Wouldn't you rather say, hey, help, let me help carry that for a minute, right? Or let me get you some water, right? right? But why can't we do that with communities in this country that are suffering? Communities that are suffering. Instead, we want to argue and blame so much. God says, no, 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 no. I've come to bring good news to those who need it the most. And if I see someone, and someone who has this great need for a great God, I should be moved by love and compassion to love them, to serve them, to embrace them, to be with them. We need to recognize the need. We need to take action and go to the last couple. This is what I want to end up with here this morning. Three steps, I believe, that help us live out the mission that God has given to us. Again, because once we see our need and we receive God's love and mercy, we want to get on mission with Jesus, right? We want to get we want to get in on what He's doing. We want to get in on what God's doing in the world, and then we can begin to do this. It begins with awareness. Awareness is simply taking the time to look and to listen. And I ask everybody to do that. Whenever you see a problem, you know, in our world, take time to look and listen. Whenever you see somebody else, especially somebody that's different from you. Everybody take a quick look around. Everybody take a quick look around. Does everybody look like you? Do they? No? They look different? 
I looked like Trevor, maybe I'd be a little happier. But, you know, we're all who we are. We are who we are, right? We all look different, right? Right? And you can just tell by looking that there's different stories represented here. There's different backgrounds. There's different experiences. You know, and that awareness is the first step. We have to, so I encourage you to read. Read things that are not by authors that are just like you. You know, I had to stop reading white male authors for a while because I needed to understand stories that were different from mine. And it helps me become aware. It helps me understand. You need to spend time with people, right? You need to have meals together. You need to talk. You need to listen to each other's stories. I remember walking through Hartford when we first started four years ago, and we were handing out flyers, and there was this guy sitting on Broad Street just hanging, chilling out, and I came up to him, and I said, how's it going? And he said, I'm going all right, man. And he just started telling me a story. And I said, tell me more. And at the end, he said, you know, this is what we need. He said, there's a lot of people out here that are just asking for money or food. He said, but we need to listen to each other's stories. You know, and that's all we did was listen to each other's stories for about an hour. That's what I believe God wants us to do is awareness, which leads to action, which leads that we serve alongside of each other, that we serve with each other, that we get involved, that we don't stand back and just say, oh, I, I can't help that person. Well, yes, you can. You can't do everything, but you can do something, right? And the more you get to know the person, the better you are at, at learning to, to minister to each other, to help each other. So awareness needs to lead to action. You need to get involved wherever you can. And everybody can do something. Nobody can do everything. But the more little somethings we do, the bigger the change will become. God's kingdom will come in this world. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me know. Let me know that you, know, you kind of agree with this, because I think it would be good we got on the same page. And the last step is becoming an ally. I'm so appreciative of my friend, Pastor Antoine, uh, who pastors in Waterbury now, as well as helping out uh, in the north and the Hartford. And he said, I said, what is an ally, Antoine? Tell me what that means. You know, we're talking about awareness to actually become an ally. He said, an ally is a brother that you're willing to lay down your life for. Uh, sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Who did Jesus die for? those people we talked about, right? He died for them. He, did he die for them because they changed first? Did he die for them because they got their act together? Did he die for them because they became good citizens? No, he died for them just as they were so that through that, the power of God might be released in their lives to become more than they ever could have imagined for themselves or than anybody else could have ever imagined. You know, are you willing to be with somebody that you're willing to lay down your life for them. That's possible. It takes heart, doesn't it? I, I feel right now, you know, as they're thinking about specific people, and you're like, I like that person, Pastor. They're a good person, but I'm not sure I'd die for that person. <laughs> I'm not, you know, let's be honest, right? There's some people where we're not even sure that we want to be around too much. You know? It's like, like, Jesus, I, I get this, Jesus, but I'll be on mission with you, you know, a couple days a week. We'll be good, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, I need to do that, you know. And I think Jesus understands that, you know. I mean, Jesus was real, right? There was people he got frustrated with, right? Jesus turned around, he snapped to Peter, you know. He said, get behind me, Satan, you know. <laughs> you know, the snapping Jesus, you know. <laughs> you don't like to think about that, but, you know, there were times when, you know, he got frustrated and he, you know, like we all do. It's just real life. But man, when it comes to your brother or your sister, you would lay down your life for them, would you not? 
Tell me you want it, no matter if you were separated, right? Am I right, Pastor Angel? If you never saw Jonathan for two years, right? And Jonathan put up nasty stuff about you on Facebook, and you don't see it because you're not on Facebook. But somebody told you about it, right? And you were separated for two years. But if Jonathan needs you, would you lay down your life for him? Yes, because why? You'd say, because he's my brother. Becoming an ally means that those people I told you to just look at become your sisters and your brothers. And you say, I'm willing to stand with you, to listen to you, to try to understand your story, to take action on your behalf and with you, and I'm willing to identify with you so much that I'm willing to lay down my life for you. Friends, that is the mission of Jesus Christ and that's what he wants. That is the vision that God has for the world and his plan is awesome. Oh friends, how I wish sometimes he had a better plan <laughs> than me and you. I'm just going to be honest. I wish he had something a little better, but it's his plan and this is what he's chosen to do. And that's just how God works. Sometimes we don't understand it all, friends, right? It's okay if you don't understand it all. I don't understand it all, but I trust God. It's faith that counts. It's the amount of trust you have in God, whether you understand or not, whether you know or not, and you say, God, I believe this is the way you work. And because that's the way you work, I'm going to be a part of that. And I'm going to do it. So we need to go to those who need it the most. We need to go to the places that are desperate. We need to eat with people that we are not sure about, that we don't understand, because we need to make those connections to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Go to the last slide there, please. So this is a picture of where we're headed to this Friday. This is Tijuana, Mexico. This is a typical hillside um, with houses that come down. And um, we're going to pray for the team um, uh, in, in just a moment here. And um, uh, what I want to... I was walking along a street very similar to this a few years ago, and uh, we were visiting um, we were visiting some people that were, were sick and had terminal illnesses. We went with a pastor and people from his church just to go and visit, like Jesus said, I was sick and you didn't need me, and to just pray with them and just be with them. And, and I was uh, reflecting upon the hills, the canyons, the steep hills and houses are built on, and you can see the, 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 the crevices, you know, the ravines where when it rains, the water comes down, right? It doesn't rain very often in this part of the country. But when it does rain, it rains, and the rains come down. And you can see where the water comes down. And then on the roads, the dirt roads, you can see the crevices, right, where the water makes the trenches and where the water flows down. And I'm sitting there thinking about it. All of a sudden, I just had this picture of a rainstorm, right? And the rain's coming down. And I'm like, you know what's interesting about rain? Is that it just by its very nature seeks the lowest place. By its very nature, it runs down to the lowest place. It gets down to the lowest of the low, and there it begins to form a little puddle, right? And into a pool. And if it keeps raining, something large is going to happen. God revealed to me that that's exactly like his love, his power, and his grace. It flows down over all the earth, but by its nature, it goes to the lowest low place, where it creates at first a puddle, and then a pool appears. And then as God continues to shower his power and his presence, it raises up everyone to better put context. Friends, I think those of us who want to be most on the mission with Jesus are going to get down to that spot where the presence of God comes and becomes and stuff into rain and it's starting to form something that can be good and life Today we celebrate communion. Communion is where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus when he calls us to follow him. 
Jesus took a piece of bread with his friends. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. I want you to remember that my body was broken for the healing and forgiveness of your sins. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood. I want you to remember that he shed my blood for the healing and forgiveness of your sins. Jesus said, as often as we do this, we need to remember him. It's more than just a mental remembering. It's a reenactment. It's a it's a, it's a coming together of the presence of Christ in our bodies. Because Jesus said, if you believe in me, and my spirit lives in you, you are my body. You are my hands and my feet. And if I am the body of Christ, then what is Christ calling me to do? To allow myself, to allow us to be broken and to shed our blood for the healing and forgiveness of the world. Now by shed our blood, I mean give our life. To give our life. To not worry about the cost. To give our life we might, might participate in God's healing, forgiveness, and restoration of life. Amen? Would you join me in prayer as we prepare to receive? I'm going to invite the communion servers to come up at this time as well. And Lord Jesus, I just ask that in this moment, Jesus, that you would, that you would bring healing and forgiveness to us. And I invite you silently, if you need forgiveness for anything this morning, to just ask Jesus to forgive you. If you need healing for anything this morning, I pray also that as we partake today, that these elements would become for us your very real presence that gives us the fuel and the energy we need to be on your mission in this world. Lord, I pray that your power and your presence would fill us, would come into the, the lowest places of our lives, the deepest places of hurt, of emptiness. Lord, I pray that your presence would begin to fill us in the deepest places pray that that might happen today, Lord Jesus, as we receive and believe in your name we pray. This morning you can come forward to receive communion. Just take one of the wafers, dip it in the cup, and put it in. This is an invitation open to everyone, but certainly not required. If you prefer to take a drink out of the cup in the middle, you can do that. But please come as you're ready and receive the body.